0: This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens.
1: Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores
0: intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities.
1: Star Trek is for feminists. Are you ready? Yeah. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Becca. Hi, everybody. Welcome back once again to Intertractional. That's what you're listening to. Yeah. <laughs> Have you filled out our survey yet, by the way? Please, please fill out our survey. You can find it on our Facebook group or page. And also you could go to intertractional.com e slash fan yeah. um, You can also donate money to us
0: oh yeah (laughs) give us money (laughs) um you can donate to us so that we can get better equipment and grow our audience and then eventually find sponsors and then bring you more quality podcasts by being able to focus more on this you can donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire that's empire with an f Thank you. Uh, We'll give you a shout out if you donate to us, uh, unless you don't want us to. Uh, Definitely
1: put in a note. If you want us to not say your name, put in a note. Because we will default to saying that you gave us money because we love you. (laughs) Because we love you the most.
0: Okay. So today we're talking about um, two of the matriarchs of Star Trek. We're talking about the naked moms. The naked moms. Naked moms of Trek. When we started, we were both like, you were like, let's do a Loxana episode. And I was repeatedly like, let's do a Moogie episode. And then somehow they in our brainstorming they became one episode. So mm-hmm. I think you know, I've come around to
1: to Mrs. Troy. I love Loxana Troy. There is a bit of a resemblance between my mother and her mother. And uh, I can't help but love. It's she's... it's funny because I'm never sure whether you think that she's your mom or whether you think that she's you. Well, I aspire to be as fabulous as she is. Oh, but like, but mostly, my mother is unrepentantly herself and does not care what other people think about her, and neither does Loxana Troy.
0: Yeah, she's like fully actualized and fully herself. So is Moogie. So is Moogie freaking love moogie i think that she is part of the project of rehabilitating the ferengi image uh because they start out with the ferengi being super misogynistic and we never see any of the women
1: uh well, they're and- confined to ferenginar they can't
0: yeah. travel they can't travel they can't wear clothes i'm not sure if they can leave their house i think they can't leave the house do do all the, do the men have to do all the shopping? Like
1: what happens? I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, probably it seems like their I mean, responsibilities even, are mostly to like pre-chew dinner. But Maybe this is like a business.
0: Uh, it's I mean, like business doing. Shopping is like business doing and the men are obsessed with business. I don't know.
1: It doesn't it doesn't really make
0: sense. No. It doesn't make sense from a world-building perspective.
1: So yeah, so we're um, we're talking about those two fabulous ladies who are also moms, and um, we're going to do very brief summaries of two episodes, one from The Next Generation and one from Deep Space Nine. We watched The Cost of Living,
0: season five, episode 20. It aired in April of 1992. Deanna Troy is counseling Worf and Alexander when she is interrupted by her mother Loxana's arrival. Loxana is there to marry a man she's never met, Compio. Alexander and Worf are having trouble taking Troy's advice, and Loxana takes Alexander's side. The two of them go off to the holodeck where they meet some weird clowns and take mud baths. She teaches Alexander about enjoying life, and he helps her see that she doesn't need to get married in order to be happy. Also, there's some science glitter that almost destroys the
1: Enterprise. And as we go through our conversation, we'll, like, illuminate plot points as they are relevant. We watched Family Business, which is Deep Space Nine episode 23 from season three, aired in May 1995. Quark's bar gets shut down by Brunt, who's this guy from basically Ferengi IRS. Um, And he's come to possess all of Quark's assets because he, he and Rom's mother, Ishka, aka Mugi, mm-hmm. is illegally conducting business mm-hmm. as a female Ferengi. <laughs> so they go to Ferenginar and Quark insists that she sign a confession of guilt, which she definitely doesn't want to do. But then, ultimately, Rom and Cork convince her to do because it will allow her to keep most of her wealth as the crimes that she's been charged with are only for a fraction of what she's been able to make on the sly. Also, Cisco falls in love with a lady captain. Or at least they watch baseball together. Listen to baseball <laughs> together. It's about baseball. They don't like each other until baseball in cost of living which is the episode featuring loxana troy oh so wait why did we pick this episode
0: why did we pick this episode because there's a lot of i am just i don't know i
1: want to talk about that because there's like a
0: lot of episodes with loxana
1: yeah i I so yeah so i have i love this episode and i think that the reason that i love this episode is that it's it's in the point where they're transitioning from making Luxana like entirely a joke to mm. giving her some more depth. And um, I really think that we get to see how she's ultimately like making decisions about her life that are true to who she is and she's not going to conform herself to some code of propriety or whatever
0: yeah yeah and uh i I think this popped into your mind really quickly when we started talking about her because there's just like so many episodes with her and you were like the one where she and alexander take a mud bath Mm -hmm. and uh it turns out they take three so the episode begins with uh deanna troy helping Worf learn how to get along with his son
1: Mm mm-hmm Yeah, and she proposes that they come up with a contract that's, like, household duties for both of them. Why not simply draw up a contract, which clearly
0: defines the duties of each family member? You mean he tells me what he wants and I have to do it? No, I mean you both agree to your responsibilities. And when you've done the
1: things that you've agreed to do, then you've earned the privilege to do the things that you want to do. I can't decide if it's a very good suggestion or if it's a very out of touch suge- suggestion. I think it's. I think she's trying to get them both to
0: buy in to a behavior model um, that feels equitable to Alexander uh, and to Wharf, and I think it's also an exercise in empathy. I I was trying to think about, like, what was she trying to do before the whole episode got away from her? (laughs) And, because usually Deanna's very wise, and then her mom sort of shows up with her, like, less planned, like, feel-it-out folk wisdom. I I think that Deanna has a plan, because she's saying... Worf, you will talk about what the parents obligations and responsibilities are too so Worf's going to talk about like how i'm going to be a good dad the things i'm going to do for my son and when they write those down maybe he'll both like realize that he's got to be good to Al- alexander and maybe alexander will see all the things that his dad is doing for him hmm. Worf, in the meantime is going to see all the things that alexander thinks are challenging And it'll sort of, like, help them develop empathy for each other to see, Mm -hmm. like, what their responsibilities are to one another and, like, what the other person, like, wants out of the situation.
1: Um, I see that. To me, it felt, like, very um, Marie Kondo when when you go through the Komari method. If you have kids that you, like, engage them in the process and come up with what their household responsibilities are in terms of, like, keeping things in their place and taking care of the home. Um, so it felt I, very, very, much like that. I love Marie Kondo. So I, as somebody
0: with ADHD, um, it is very hard to stay organized and it is
1: easier when you just have less things to organize. And she helped me realize that. So yeah. So that's what they're doing <laughs> at the point in time that Loxana like beams aboard the Enterprise and she... You know, she makes her grand entrance, which she always does. She's wearing, of course, one of her amazing costumes and like the most rainbow eye makeup.
0: They very quickly cut to 10 forward where she informs Deanna of her plans to marry someone who she met on okay Cupid <laughs> Or E-Harmony. <laughs> They've never met before, but their profiles really match up and he's royalty. And Deanna is just flabbergasted by this whole thing. And before she can like really get into it. They are interrupted by Worf and Alexander. It's such a big name for such a tiny little
1: boy. No, He's so oh, cute. God. I think that's another reason that I was like drawn to this particular episode. I just love Alexander as a character. He's and a good he's, character. He's like, so cute. He's a
0: good actor. Um, guys, let us know if you want us to do the episode where they're
1: cowboys. Oh my God. Right? Um, anyway, so, so they, like, burst into 10 forward, and they're like, this contract negotiation stuff is not working, and then Luxana like, totally takes over the conversation, she's like, why would you be making a child have a contract anyway? Um, I love you immediately, Alexander. Let's go have a mud bath right now.
0: Yeah, she decides that she and Alexander are going to be best friends. They uh no one stops them they go off to the holodeck immediately so she's like okay let's have a mud bath at like an artist colony and it's like this freewheeling colony of like clowns and acrobats and people in body paint and like weird bubbles and it's kind
1: of <laughs> brian believes that this is what burning man is like
0: i've never been to burning man it's how it's i imagine that this is like burning man
1: but like for children i don't i don't know There is kidsville in Burning Man. People take their kids to Burning Man. Um, Okay. Are there people in body paint? Yes. Are there jugglers? I think so. There's more like fire dancers.
0: Are there naked people? Yes. Are there people in mud baths? No. There's people in steam baths. Would there be people in mud baths if there were mud
1: baths? Like maybe? That's really a a leave no trace kind of issue with with all the mud
0: all of these characters seem like they're on drugs. That's fair. (laughs) (laughs) So I just, like, imagine that, like, the holodeck version of this is, like, a little bit more Uh kid-friendly, but that, like, Loxana went to, like, a Burning Man village and took a mud bath one time, and that's what she's bringing this small child to. And then they get (gasps) naked and get into the mud bath. Yeah,
1: it's great. It's great. I mean, Loxana would... A hundred percent love Burning Man. It's like her place, <laughs> and also this mud bath is just less dusty. It feels like very like from the era of Teletubbies, like what kids liked, yeah. which was like lots of bright colors and kind of like so, sort of like weird, creepy undertone of I don't know, yeah. weird clowns. It's just like it's just really weird clowns. I wasn't into
0: it. I think I've watched this episode three times at this point. Um, once in the past, and then twice leading up to this episode. And on each rewatching, it bothers me less. Mm-hmm. What, are, what do you? What do you think of uh, Loxy
1: in this scene? <laughs> um, I so I really I think that this scene kind of the the, the mud bath and this holodeck program. um are emblematic of what I love about her, which is that she's a hedonist. Alexander, now life's true gift is the capacity to enjoy enjoyment. You know, the philosophy of hedonism being about deriving pleasure from life Mm -hmm. and that that being the highest good.
0: And she's like the best kind of hedonist,
1: right? The worst kind of hedonist is like
0: consequence free and like only thinks about themselves at the expense of others and she's just like honoring herself uh she's not out to harm any other person so it's like this really like cheery lovely version of hedonism and we see her imparting this wisdom onto alexander um who is a very serious child being raised by a very serious parent
1: Who's had a lot of, like, really traumatic things happen to his eight-year-old human person. He's not a human. Eight-year-old, tr- mostly... Well, quarter human. Yeah, mostly Klingon. Yeah. Anyway, he's
0: a youngin. I think this is a good time to talk about how we've seen Lux on it in the past compared to now.
1: So in the first few appearances that she makes, she still does this, like, very grand entrance kind of thing. Oh, like, every time she's... Um, I am the daughter of the 5th House of Beta Z, the holder of the chalice and like something about reeks. I am Luoxana Troy, daughter of the 5th House, holder of the sacred chalice of reeks, heir to the holy rings of Beta Z. Yes. She's very proud of her um of her status and of her role as a diplomat. So, like, I think in part because she has such sanction from her government, she walks into any situation being totally fearless about how she's perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is it is played for a joke. Uh, her like her overt, overt sexuality is played for a joke. I want to dig a
0: little deeper into how her sexuality is played mm-hmm. for a joke because we've mentioned her fabulous outfits, which are at times comical and at times beautiful. Um, And at times both. And the way that people react to her, it plays into this idea that I think was more common back then than it is now of um, older women thinking that they are attractive past their prime. Hmm. I think like part of what is... Uh, repulsive about her to some of the male characters is that uh, this is not the woman who they want
1: hitting on them. She's committing a social faux pas by believing in her own desirability. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. Which she definitely plays up with how she presents herself and how she dresses.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, And also that she like not in, in this episode she basically says nothing about reading people's Emotions or thoughts, but in previous episodes, she's always like, "Oh, shot, Luke. What naughty thoughts!" Just causes it, him to make faces all the time.
0: There's, I mean, I think there's an episode in which she's going through betazoid menopause, which means that her female sexual desire is like tripled or quadrupled or something and she just goes throughout the ship like flirting with every single man and that one is especially upsetting because it just no one's into her right like she's uh like she's like a cougar prowling the hallway hitting on all the men and they're all like oh that's not who I want um but maybe it kind of is who they want but they don't want it to be who they want like do you think she's completely making this shit up or
1: yeah I don't know if she's reading actual thoughts or if she's just like trying to embarrass other people as much as possible. It's hard to say because I think that she is beautiful and Mm -hmm. I think that the like this social construct of women past a certain age can't be like desirable is bullshit. Oh, I wanted to read a, a couple quotes from an article on Women at Warp. Women at Warp is another um, female-run podcast about Star Trek, which we love. And um, they also write blog posts. And this one was called Loxana Troy Barrier-Breaking Fashion Icon. Uh, So they say, These bold costuming choices give Loxana the opportunity to challenge what would usually be considered appropriate attire for an Hmm. older woman. Several of her gowns expose her shoulders, arms, back, or cleavage. And we discover that even in Star Trek's utopian future, this is frowned upon. And later in the article, they say historically, women who dress too boldly or vibrantly have been considered vulgar. But this criticism usually boils down to women taking up space, either phys- physically or visually.
0: She does take up a lot of space. She does. She sucks all the air out of the room. Like she comes in, it's like she's like a literal steam stealer in real life, right? She's the the life of the party. Um, I wanted to say that I looked up her age. So she would have been 60 when this aired. So she was in her late 50s in the other episodes. And uh, this is something that was like happening across television at this time. Because Golden Girls, their run was concurrent with the run of Star Trek. So you also had these women in their uh, 50s and early 60s being super sexual and super sexy. And a lot of her outfits actually remind me. Of the shit they wear on Golden Girls when they go out, I was like trying to screen cap some images Rebecca earlier of just like none of them are as fabulous as Roxana <laughs> Troy, but they're they're wearing a lot of shoulder pads, sequins, uh, cleavage, um, also very designing women esque, which also had women I think in their forties being very sexual on TV. So uh, women in the eighties were trying to get it.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um... I don't know why Loaxana Troy is not a drag icon. (laughs) Sorry. She has all of the wigs.
0: (laughs) She does. She has such good wigs. In this episode, she has three different wigs. Yes. I have no idea. I mean, all I can figure is like the people doing cosplay are not the same people who are doing drag. Like you just get funneled into one expensive costume habit or the other, but not both. (laughs) Some of those queens
1: are nerds like they really are so who's so come on get it together start start drag performing laksana this is what we want to see it feels obvious
0: becca if you had to drag king as any character from
1: star Trek, who would it be oh my god q q q (laughs) oh that makes sense
0: (laughs) oh now i have to think of my answer Oh I have to I mean I think my
1: answers are pretty obvious. Tell me tell me I mean who do you think I would be? um well, I hope you would say Picard because <laughs> that needs to happen okay, but you know who I would actually say is Captain Kirk Well, yes,
0: yeah. right I almost have the hair right now. that's true, yeah
1: one thing I wanted to say is early in the episode, they um Picard and Riker are talking about Loxana's arrival and they're like why is she using the Enterprise to get married also it seems like that's something that she would need to clear ahead of time like you can't just like show up in a place and then be like I'm getting married here that's not how venues work married she's getting married yes if we stay on our present course we should rendezvous with her intended in 31 hours I will not have that woman continuing to use this ship for her convenience simply because her daughter happens to be one of my officers Apparently, Deanna being on board is only part of the reason. The other reason being? She thinks the honor of giving away the bride should fall on you. Permission for an on-board wedding is granted, number one. Nothing will please me more than to give away Mrs. Troy.
0: It's very funny, because it goes back to the thing where he's not into her. Yeah. (laughs) Just
1: the recurring note. I think part of what embarrasses him so much about Loxana and her like overt flirting or whatever it is that you want to call it is that he is on board the Enterprise in front of the people who are serving under him and to have his sexuality brought front and center mm-hmm. is like a boundary crossing that he's not comfortable with.
0: I think we can sort of jump ahead in the plot. We see... Uh... Alex bails on on dinner with his dad to go hang out with Loxana. and then Loxana is trying to bail on uh, wedding planning with her betrothed Compio and then his like etiquette dude Echo Uh, Mr. Hom her manservant is also there. Um, suddenly Worf and Troy burst in, and there's just this crazy scene going back and forth between all of these people in which they're all
1: talking over each other. It's very farcical and funny. The, like, etiquette guy is, like, trying to conduct this, uh, we gotta hammer out the details of the wedding, but there's a lot of rules of etiquette that Loxana violates. Minister, the woman should not be addressing you in the familiar. Highlighting that this culture that she's about to marry into is very strict and proper. Also, I think sexist. Mm. Because she, so much of this propriety is about like they can't, they can't touch before they get married. Mm-hmm. Um, They're not really supposed to be, I don't think they're supposed to be alone together. Which, at least in Earth cultures, is inseparable from the subjugation of women absolutely yeah and it's part of like it's part of why it's obvious that this marriage should should not happen like if you weren't going to believe Deanna earlier that her mother shouldn't be shouldn't be
0: marrying someone she's never met before now we have actual evidence that it will be a bad match and eventually the two of them escape um, Loxana yeah. and Alex and they go have another mud bath <laughs> because apparently the, the best thing on this ship is like the holographic spa uh, over the course of the next two scenes Alexander is really trying to figure out why she would want to get married and why she would want to marry this person. Mm -hmm. But she explains to him that, like, when you get married, you're going to be with someone forever. And he's like, oh, you must really like that person then. So, like, oh, that's not good. He tells her to follow her own advice from the first mud bath and, like, listen to the other people inside of her. Like, this might be a good time for one of them to, to show up and tell you what to do. And then she ends up saying this thing, which I think is, like, the most humanizing thing.
1: Um... I'm alone, Alex. And uh, when you do get older. And can no longer pick and choose from. Whatever may come your way. Then you. uh, Then you do what we call compromise. Keeps you from being afraid.
0: I think one of the things that this episode shows is that you can have companionship outside of romantic companionship. She can just go around the world befriending little boys. (laughs) I'm I'm being a little silly, but you know, like, she's like space aunt. She's a fun grandma.
1: One of the things that I read about her said that the character concept being like the Star Trek world's auntie mame, uh, fun-loving aunt of some orphaned young youngster who goes to live with her. And then she's like, scandalous not like hiding away mm-hmm. because she's an older woman who's alone mm-hmm. um there's just, like a lot of cultural messaging that older women should just disappear mm-hmm. that being sexual is just like not allowed and what looks Lux- what voksana embodies for me is and like I think it falters and it's demonstrated that it's faltering in this episode but in general she demonstrates a an impenetrable belief in her own beauty and desirability Mm. that does not depend on what other people are telling her about herself
0: so this falters a little bit in this episode when she decides to marry this rando Mm -hmm. and then remembers that she's awesome on her own
1: yeah and then (laughs) shows up naked to her fucking wedding yeah violating all of the propriety laws and everybody's like Look at that sexy mama. And there's, like, a
0: lot of images of this. Like, we get her waistline. We get her, like, shoulders upward. She's, like, making eye contact with everyone. People are looking her up and down and, like, laughing or or smirking or looking away or are proud of her. Little Alexander looks right at her. Like, no one's covering the child's eyes. The only person whose eyes get covered are her betrothed. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Whose eyes get covered
1: by the etiquette boss. earlier in the episode there's this quote that i love after all it would be unpardonable simply to abandon ourselves to the moment would it not oh unpardonable that's like her whole deal that's her
0: whole thing yeah
1: and so when she she abandons herself to this moment of like showing up as betazoids traditionally show up naked to their weddings Mm -hmm. um but obviously she's doing it because she doesn't want to marry this guy
0: right yeah she's decided she knows the consequence of this action um Mm -hmm. she's decided to be true to herself and her heritage which is you are naked at your wedding
1: yeah and another reason that i love this is that it um it highlights something that i think is very important which is decoupling nudity from sexuality yes Um, so she shows up and like nobody covers Alexander's eyes because it doesn't, she's not sexy in that moment. She's embracing herself and like loving herself. Mm -hmm. And there's not, I don't know, there's not hard dicks and wet pussies involved. (laughs) Is that too, is that too crass? We have an explicit rating. Uh,
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you're right. You're right. No, it is not a sexual moment. She's just naked. Yeah. Uh, which we can all assume she's been before because she's been to space Burning Man.
1: Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, it's why I love Burning Man. It's why, <laughs> as on the sex-positive Democrat. How
0: Democrats, do you get
1: sunburned? Um, there are ways. One of those ways is called sunscreen- the other way is called rolling in the dust. Anyway, one of the reasons that I'm um, like on the board of the Sex Positive Democratic Club is that in the time that I've lived in San Francisco, nudity went from being legal to being illegal on the streets of San Francisco. And I'm like, what is this? Backwards movement San Francisco? No. I am waving my hands in the air because when I'm When did that happen? Um, I think it was 20. 20- 14. I should okay. look this up. The nudity ban took effect on February 1st of 2013. Huh.
0: Okay, so maybe after I got here people just hadn't gotten the memo. I don't know.
1: Or were they just were they, <laughs> were, they protesting? were they just wearing the
0: cock socks? No. <laughs> Actually maybe one. No, I just saw like naked men. I just saw naked men walking down the street in the Castro on a regular day. Huh.
1: All right. Well, maybe they were like, we don't care if it's illegal anymore. I mean, there were protests when this was happening. Anyway, is there anything that we haven't talked about in this episode?
0: Okay, so I have I have a few more notes. Um, naked marriage, final mud mud baths. So following the naked marriage, they go to the mud baths in the holodeck again with Luxana Alexander. Luxana and Alexander are very pleased with themselves um Deanna is mostly pleased she still has her amazing wedding hair and Worf is very not pleased because his whole thing is just being grumpy all the time he's like in the bath up to his neck uh like totally submerged being like the most um most covered the most covered of all of them and uh it's like you're just supposed to sit here (laughs) it's so funny (laughs) he's not comfortable relaxing And uh, they all kind of like muse on the situation and everything worked out okay.
1: I don't wanna I don't wanna run over how amazing Deanna's hair is in this scene. It is full-on like Greek goddess. It's really piled on top of her head with like a little gold bow in it. I mean, I think it seems
0: like they went straight from the failed wedding to the holodeck.
1: Yeah. Do you think she got dressed to walk the halls from 10 forward to the holodeck? Or was she just naked the whole time?
0: Oh, I think they gave her a blanket or something.
1: (laughs) Put on a robe.
0: I also, I want to talk just for like two seconds about how Lwaxana Troy is played by Majel Barrett. Yeah. Who is the wife of Gene Roddenberry. And uh, she was just super incredible. Uh, she's like, you know, considered the first lady of Star Trek. When she's talking to the computer, she's talking to herself. She is talking to herself because she's also the voice of the computer. Uh, as you learn more about Gene Roddenberry over time, it doesn't sound like she was treated super well. He had like like a 30-year affair with his secretary, which she pretty much knew about. Um, and I, I wonder how much of that plays into her um, being mocked. Um, or if she's just, like, loving it? I don't know. I I feel like it brings this layer of complicatedness to the whole thing, uh, that she was on screen for several seasons being mocked for thinking that she's attractive while she's, like, married to the person who's, like, making the show. Hmm and I just I don't have an answer to this. I don't have a really deep analysis of this, but it's like a nagging question in my head. So if anyone else has thoughts on this issue, I'd love to hear them.
1: So, she in an interview that she gave in 1988 which is um, reprinted on star trek.com and we'll link to she says of Loxana. She's a much more fun character. And I can play her forever because I'm at an age where that's totally believable. And then she goes on to say, I would like to put a little pressure on Gene, but the idea of nepotism sticks in his cross sometimes and people tell him, gee, it looks funny. So he's listening to that more than to my pleas and tears. If the audience likes my character in the episode, however, they should write the studio. And um, so then then she's saying like she had a single episode as Loxana. It wasn't sure that she was going to come back. But then people liked her and so they wrote more episodes about her. But I think what calls out to me in that quote is that they were aware of the nepotism. There's so much there. And that maybe part of why part of why she embraced or looked away from being played as a as a joke is like because she was already feeling guilty about Leaning on Gene Roddenberry to, to get, get work.
0: work, yeah, to be there at all. But there's so much there that she's at an age where she can be a fun character. This mm. idea that, bef- like, women when they are sort of when they're sexual objects, uh, don't get to be fun, and when they're sexual objects, they don't get to be uh, sexual subjects, which she gets to be as this uh, older woman. Yeah. Oh, there's so much in that quote. Oh my God, I'm so glad you read
1: that. Yay! I'm glad to have found this, uh, I'm glad to have found this interview, and I, I mean, she's such a through line in, yes. in Trek, even beyond, she, I mean, she outlived Gene Roddenberry. By like, a lot. lot. <laughs> By a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So we love her. We love her. Yeah. Okay. Alright. We should take a break, Are and then when we break? come
0: back, we're gonna talk about Moogie. Alright, welcome back. Welcome back. Um so Moogie. Um Moogie I think is a diminutive word for mother in Ferengi. And not the name of the specific character, but because she's the only character we ever meet named Moogie. I always think of her as Moogie. Her actual name is Ishka.
1: You mean Moogie? Yes, I mean Moogie. Stop calling her by that infantile nickname. But she likes it. After all, she is our mother. There were six episodes that featured Mugi and the actress who played her first, whose name is Andrea Martin, uh, didn't want to come back and play her again because the Ferengi makeup and prosthetics were like painful. Cecily Adams played Mugi in five episodes. They had to put a lot of prosthetics like on her
0: naked body. It's substantially different than... Uh,
1: than just filming with the face stuff. I think this leads into something that we had <laughs> we talked about and are having like a little bit of a disagreement about, um, which is that both of these actresses are very young to be playing mothers. Um, Cecily Adams at the time of filming was, like, 39, approximately. Like, she was in episodes over a few years, so that would have been, like, she was 39 to 41 or 42. Nine years younger than Armin Shimmerman. Um. And then the other actress was three years older than Quark. Yes. Yeah, so I don't know how problematic it is in this particular case, but... It is emblematic to me of a problem that has persisted in Hollywood um, that women over 40, there's not roles for them, and that even the characters of mothers who presumably could be played by older actresses are played by people who are relatively young, as in their age compared to the people who they are playing the mothers of. Is absurd. Like in Forrest Gump, for example, Sally Field plays um, Tom Hanks's mother, and like three years previously, she'd played his love interest. And it's just like crazy town. In a report from AARP called Hollywood Report, no progress on diversity. Um, they analyze one thousand one hundred popular films between two thousand seven and two thousand seventeen and found that women get only 31.8% of speaking roles, and after age 40, less than one quarter of all roles. And so the fact that significantly fewer roles are being played by women and women who are over 40 than reflect actual population data points to a disparity between how the world is and how Hollywood sees the world to be. Sure. Which I think we all know is true. Yeah, no, this is a real problem. I think,
0: so part of my, my disagreement with you is a few-fold. Mm-hmm. Like, one, I don't know if that's something that we should care about in this context. Hmm. I think if we're going to care about it in this context, we should care about, I don't know, for instance... Who they're casting as Benjamin Sisko's love interest. Why aren't there more female admirals who show up in like roles where we would actually see their faces? Mm -hmm. Um, But for someone who's in prosthetics, I don't care as much. Because I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the funniest actress to play this role. They auditioned many, many women and couldn't find the right actress. And then they ended up with Andrea Martin, who was a improv actress from, I think, Second City? And she was like the funniest person that they could get. And then when they cast the second woman,
1: they just cast the person who did the best impression of her. It doesn't surprise me that they had trouble filling this role because they couldn't find a woman who was funny. The world delivers the message that women aren't funny. And so there's fewer people, there's fewer women who are out there in the world being funny famously in the first place. The idea that there aren't funny women who are older is like, Totally destroyed by the existence of golden girls, for example. Yes. Like that just doesn't track.
0: Except that um the woman who played the mom in Golden Girls, the woman who played Sophie was the same age as the other actresses. So all those actresses were in like their 50s and 60s and the woman playing the actress in her 70s and 80s was also in her 50s and 60s and wearing old lady makeup. Yeah to look old Wait this is the same problem.
1: <laughs> this is the, this is the problem.
0: I don't think that you're wrong. I think that like my disagreement with you is like is this something that I want to spend time being bothered by? about this episode or about these episodes or about this character when this character is really awesome and feminist. Mm-hmm. I think you care about it, so it comes in. But I'm just like, why
1: Why is this the thing that's bothering you out of like all of the many things? Ah, yeah. Well, it's a thing that bothers me about the industry and that I saw this as an example of that thing that bothers me. Okay. Yeah. So, with that okay, said... So family
0: business. With that said...
1: <laughs> Getting into what happens in family business, Brunt shows up and shuts down Forks bar. And I just want to very quickly say that his outfit is full of gigos.
0: And he's played by Jeffrey Combs, who is like uh, the chameleon of the Star Trek world. He also plays Yoon in the series and he plays uh, the Andorian, who I really like. Shran, he does a great job here just being someone who you can readily hate and (laughs) who seems to delight in getting under Quark's skin.
1: You realize concealing financial information
0: from the FCA could result in severe fines? I would never dream of trying
1: to hide anything from the FCA. We'll see. He shuts down the bar because Ishka, their mom, Moogie, has been doing business. And earning profit is a thing that females are disallowed to do by law and by nature. I feel like what would happen
0: in a world where women weren't allowed to own money and do business, and like what probably happened in the past is somebody would do business with a woman And then find out that it was a woman and be like, this contract's invalid. Like, give me my house back. And the people coming after her right now are not the people who she did business with. Like, they're not the people who were actually harmed. It's just like the regulatory body in the Ferengi government.
1: It's unclear who it was that she engaged in business in order to make this profit that was illegal. But I just imagine she's like playing the markets. Yeah. She's like investing. Yeah. And so who actually is harmed by that?
0: So they want Quark and Rom to uh, somehow make this right. They go to Franganar, um, which is apparently a planet where it rains all the time, mm-hmm. and they she has a cute little house. Their objective is to get her to sign a confession, and then he has to p- repay the government the money that that she earned that she earned somehow. in order to make it right it's very strange like they don't want to tax it they don't want it to be transferred to quark like oh your male heir or your male relative owns your wealth it's just like you shouldn't have earned that so give it to us and um they're not sure that they can at first they think it's three slips of platinum. she's been operating under dozens of different aliases conducting transactions all over the ferengi alliance do you know what this means
1: it means moogie's got the lobes for business
0: Even if I sold everything I have, I couldn't come close to paying back what she's earned.
1: I'm ruined. She has the lobes for business. (laughs) Part of the plot is um, kind of reviewing what her marriage to her now deceased husband was like and how he did not have the lobes for business and always like was getting into bad deals and she uh, tried to counsel him and advise him and he would not listen to her because she was female. They, like, lived kind of a impoverished life because of his unwillingness to accept that she could be better at this than him.
0: And, like, Quark, in his cultural conditioning and, like, his child's memory, remembers his mom nagging his father. And remembers that they didn't have a lot of money. And it's like, if only she'd left him alone, like things would have been better. In his memory, identifying with his beleaguered father.
1: She may have dragged father down, but she's not doing the same to me.
0: You kind of see this as like being the root of his misogyny. Uh, it doesn't completely get turned around. Like, the end of the episode shows that his perspective on this was completely wrong, but he still kind of, like, goes into all future episodes being relatively misogynistic
1: and thinking that his mother should uh, stay in her place. That she should not wear clothes. Uh Uh-huh. That she should stay in the house. Yes. That she should stop engaging in deals. And, like, honestly, this is, like, another
0: situation where it's, like, the rules and the control is what's wrong not the actual thing because like being naked and staying in my house all the time
1: honestly sounds like kind of an ideal life um but not if I had to right not if it was your only option and not if you would like could be arrested or whatever this is not a choice that is yours to make it is how you must be that Mm -hmm. is confining whether it's you can't wear any clothes or you must wear a certain type of clothing or you must keep your body covered in a certain way. Or you can't wear pants
0: or you can't wear short skirts. All of the various iterations of like how people try to control what women wear. And so like we can look at this and we can be like, this is absurd. Women aren't allowed to wear clothes, but it's very much still happening in our own society today.
1: I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about this because I think that it's, Played in the in a way that when she's wearing clothes, like her sons and Brunt and other people, other Ferengi who are around her, like look away. Like it's shameful. Do you think that Ferengi like get dressed to have sex? (laughs) Yes. Like this- I mean I don't
0: know, I don't know how they reproduce, but their ears are a sexual organ. One of the one of their sex acts is ear massage. Which can be done with all of your clothes on.
1: No one has ever given me umaks like this before. Umaks? There's no translation. But the ear is one of our most heterogeneous zones.
0: So yeah, I I think they get dressed to have sex. I think that there's like lingerie for sex, maybe. (laughs) That like the women are naked all the time, but they put on like their sex outfit.
1: Yeah, that's what I think. What I kept being like is like, are they worried? Are they like... Thinking of her in a sexual way right now. Right. That like when she's not wearing clothes, she's not a sexual being.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Or are they just shamed by her breaking the rules? That's a good question. That's mm. a that's a good interpretation. <laughs> the The world building thing that occurred to me is that it's a planet where it's raining all the time. Mm. And they're making their women be naked. So of course they can't leave their house. Because in order to leave their house, they'd have to put on a raincoat. I think that that makes more sense. How
1: do they get married? How do they meet people? Do they get educated? All of these things are mysteries to me. It seems like Mugi Ishka is an exception. And one of the things that's revealed in this episode is that while Cork's dad was the one who gifted him the rules of acquisition, it was Mugi who uh, helped him memorize them. And so I think that she was educating herself Mm. while educating her sons. It would be pretty normal for, like, a stay-at-home mom to read Bible verses with her kids. Mm-hmm. This was an allowed text, but maybe other things were not allowed.
0: Yeah. So, I also want to talk about how in this scene when they're, you know, first at home, like,
1: dealing with their mom, Rom is super, super into her. So, Rom is the bad Ferengi, but the, like, good son. hmm And Quark is the good Ferengi who is not a good son
0: she later says to quark you are more like me and rom is more like your dad
1: rom's a lot like his father and you i suppose are a lot like me i don't think i've ever been prouder than the first time you made it through all 285 rules without a mistake Uh,
0: rom knows them just as well as i do but you understand them the bad son and the good Ferengi is more like her because she is, although she's a bad woman, a good Ferengi. If you look at how personality traits and like roles are, are divided up in a society, they're not divided in a way, obviously, that like naturally aligns with people's personalities. In this society, like everything that is valued is like being good at business, making money, being independent, being successful, being shrewd, being cunning. And they give all of those traits to the men and then they ask the women to be something completely different, to be like docile, to not make money, to not make decisions, um, but then to still value all those things in their men, value all those things in society and teach their sons to be that way. And it's like naturally going to to lead to a world where one of the sexes is going to want to behave Outside of their assigned roles. When they never see the things within their assigned roles being valued. You were saying something interesting about her. Also you were saying that like. She's not she's not the kind of feminist who's doing it like for the cause.
1: Yeah. So she's, she's out here in the world like earning profit. And talking about how she as an individual can do that. And like that it should be allowed. But she's not like. She's not out in the world to get all female Ferengi the same freedom and the same benefits.
0: Yeah, she she's not. Uh, like you talked about, maybe we should talk about suffragettes, but like we're not even at the issue of, uh, of like voting at this point. We're just like, can women buy things? Right? Can Can women leave the (laughs) house? Yeah. When she starts to date the Grand Negus, her, bu- her like, power behind the throne action is not trying to steer the Ferengi world towards women's rights. It's just, like, trying to help him deal with his senility so he can stay in power and so the economy doesn't collapse. Like, her goal is to, like, maintain the status quo and the revolutionary thing that she's doing is that she's a woman while she's doing it.
1: It almost seems to me like she's saying she's kind of internalized the sexism, like she knows she herself has the lobes for business, um, but I don't know that she's yet seeing that it is also possible for other females to also be that way. She does she even get to know any other women well that's a good question it seems like no it seems like they they don't leave their house and there's like one woman for every like five Verangi, so she doesn't even have a pet like what is she doing in that all day oh my god yeah okay so somewhat earlier in the episode when moogie is refusing to sign this confession don't you see if i imprint that confession i'll be admitting that what i did was wrong i'm not going to do that I'd rather be sold into servitude. Quirk is insisting that she do it and that what she has done is wrong and it's because it's illegal and that, like, if if they didn't have laws, then the world would be chaos. That mindset ignores that there are laws that are bad. (laughs)
0: yeah yeah no it's it's constantly used over the course of history to defend immoral action
1: yeah and what i what i wrote like following on to this is that it's hard to be lawful good in an unjust world Mm. this is a thought that i have on a regular basis so like so the the grid is lawful neutral chaotic and good neutral evil throughout my life i've identified as lawful good like, I'm pretty sure I'm Gryffindor, whatever. Like, these parts of my personality become more in conflict when it is clear that there are so many laws that are immoral or unjust or racist or sexist or like reinforcing systems of oppression. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, does that mean I need to be chaotic good? Like, yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I don't think that you're lawful good you don't think so? no I used to be I don't know which one I am but I only identify as chaotic <laughs> we'll post some of these grids with like some Star Trek people like, yeah. yeah so Quark goes to the FCA to turn her in which is very comical because you have to like pay money to use the elevator <laughs> and then uh, Rom shows up and is like uh, Mugi says that if you don't turn her in she'll split the profits with you and so he runs home because now he's a rich man. And it turns out the Moogie does not know <laughs> that she's agreed to split the profits. And like Rom has cleverly tricked them into making up. They then sort of have a heart to heart slash have it out and yell at each other about all their feelings. It's all very lovely. And then she agrees to confess to some of her crimes so that she can be left in peace knowing full well that she's only returning some of the money she made and uh, not nearly all of it.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think going in with the confidence that she can rebuild what she has lost, which I really like. This is the
0: scene where she has to sign something while she's naked in front of her two sons and Brunt FCA. Poor actress was covered in um, rubber tissues in order to look old while she was naked under hot hot lights which then possibly made her never want to come
1: back that scene is funny that like final scene because brunt is once again like scandalized that she would even talk fuck that guy um okay so that's moogie we love her uh she is a feminist icon and um also want to shout out that this episode was directed by renee aubergenois who recently passed away may he rest in peace as we're recording this extremely recently thanks for giving us this episode
0: yeah he's a great dude even if odo is a cop um you wanted to talk about cisco and his girlfriend yeah
1: so the subplot in this episode is that captain cisco is being set up by his son with captain yates she's all like uncomfortable you seem a little preoccupied
0: it's just when we made our plans, I forgot, uh, I had a
1: previous engagement. She forgot that she had an incoming transmission from her brother. I promised my brother I'd listen to it as it came in.
0: I hope nothing's wrong.
1: Oh, not unless he hurt
0: himself again. Last time he, he tore some ligaments in his knee. How'd that happen? Uh, he was doing something called sliding into second. Sliding into second. Yes That sounds like baseball. You know about baseball? So they're the only two people on the station who like baseball. Was
1: this was this the start of the tre- of a trend of Starfleet Fleet captains liking obscure sports like Archer likes water polo? Yes. <laughs> okay,
0: uh, I have some math for you. Yeah. So morally hit me with, obligated hit me with the math. So in this episode, Benjamin Sisko, Avery Brooks, is 47 years old. How old do you think Cassidy Yates is? Mm, 35. 34. 34. Okay. Younger than me. Yeah. We're going to get upset about someone's age. There you go. There you go. I, I mean, I feel
1: like this You feel like this is my proving my point? your
0: point, but yeah. I'm just like, why is that? I don't know. Like, I don't
1: feel like she looks like she's 34. I feel like she looks a little older. I think that... Hollywood warps your understanding of how old women are. Yes. Because they're playing the love interests of men who are 10 to 20 years their senior. Yes. In this case, 14 years her senior? People Sorry, can- I'm
0: not ageist. Your love is beautiful. If you're <laughs> out there and you're 34 and you're dating a 47-year-old, it's fine. Um, It's not fine when it's uh, systemic and costing women in their 40s acting roles
1: yes i feel like okay. i brought you around to my, to my i way
0: still feel like i'm making a different point <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> i love it we will agree <laughs> to disagree even though i think we're agreeing i think we agree on the core issue <laughs> yeah i feel like we should quote a rule of acquisition
0: okay i found a good one a woman wearing clothes
1: is like a man in the kitchen wait what number is that one it doesn't say it just as these are just random Okay, um, here, I've got another one. We'll leave you with Ferengi uh, Rule of Acquisition number 263. Never allow doubt to tarnish your lust for latinum. <laughs> Thank you for listening.
0: <laughs> Peace and long life. Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalisi and Becca Matola barnes original music by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and with other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including iTunes. If you like this podcast... Help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on iTunes.
1: It really makes a big difference. Donate to us at paypal.me slash federation and fempire. That's fempire spelled like empire with an F before it. Because it's our lady empire. Fempire. Okay, here, rule of acquisition number 34, war is good for business. Rule of acquisition number 35, peace is good for business.
0: There's a lesson in there. Only fools pay retail. See, okay, they are Jewish.